0: In 1984, I was in seventh grade, and the Chicago Cubs had the greatest season in team history. They went to the playoffs, and in the playoffs, they played the San Diego Padres, and it was such a big deal at the time in Chicago where I grew up that they showed the baseball games during the school day because at the time, Wrigley Field didn't have light, so there wasn't night games. So we all went into one room our class of 7th graders and they pulled back the divider to make one classroom into two and they wheeled in a little television color television on a, a stand on wheels and they wheeled it in there weren't projectors back then we had projectors but they were reel-to-reel projectors that showed film we didn't have like a projector today where you could hook a USB cord you know into a projector and project a large image onto the wall and, and stream it online we had to use a television and it was on ABC so there were only a few channels two, five, seven, 9, channel thirty-two in Chicago, that you could look at Channel 38, and Channel 44, from time to time, but 9-11 was PBS in 1984. So, first two games, Cubs won the first game 13 to nothing. They won the second game four to two. I am ecstatic. I go home on Friday for the weekend. They went to San Diego to play. The Cubs then lose game three seven to one. They lose game four seven to five. They lose game five six to three and it was over i cried like a baby that day because the cubs were my favorite team they were my my passion i went back to school on monday now you may think that everybody would be crying and sad because the cubs had lost but only a real chicagoan knows that There are Cub fans, and there are White Sox fans. And you don't cheer for each other. So, waiting for me at school, when I got back that Monday, were all the White Sox fans. And they laughed. And they mocked. And they made fun of me. Don't play that song for me. This is Stephen Thompson. Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. This is Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience. Don't play that song for me. Aretha Franklin covered the song. It was a Ben E. King song, and she covered it on her 21st album, Spirit in the Dark, and that was released on Atlantic Records, and her version was performed alongside the Dixie Flyers as a single in 1970, and it peaked at number one for five weeks on the R&B charts and number 11 on the pop charts and Franklin's version was certified gold with sales of over 1 million copies. Now what was interesting about the term R&B? The term R&B was not always called R&B. It was originally called race music because the majority of the performers were African-American and then it was changed to R&B. So why would a song, the same song, the same artist, the same time signature, the same beats, the same rhythm, be number one on one chart and number 11 on another chart? It's the same song. So the only thing that is changing is the chart that it is on. It's not the song, the song remains the same. It's still Aretha Franklin singing. It's still the Spirit in the Dark album. There's still this, when you play it, you would hear the same musicians, but one chart it was number one, one chart it was number 11. Why is that? And it's still sold over one million copies. Don't play that song for me. So what is don't play that song for me? Listen to some of these lyrics. Don't play that song for me because it bring back memories. The days that I once knew, the days I spent with you. Oh, no, don't let them play it oh no it fills my heart with pain please stop it right away because I remember just what he said he said darling darling I and I know that he lied you know that you lied you know that you lied now this is some very heartbreaking lyrics there there is a relationship here there's somebody who lied There's pain and and, and she's saying don't play that again Because it it brings back pain. It brings back horrible pain. The time that I was with you and that you lied to me. Now, what's amazing about this song is the song is so upbeat. It is upbeat. It is energetic. It it makes you want to dance. And then when you're dancing, you realize, wait a minute, she's singing about somebody who lied to her, broke her heart, and put her in pain. But, But you're so happy. And it got me thinking about this concept. Of, of, of pain, and of joy, and how they all sort of integrate and whirl around together. And that's a little bit here what we're, we're going to talk about today. So let's go back a little bit. 1924, 1924 in March, the Virginia, Virginia General Assembly passed two laws that had come about because people were concerned about interracial relationships and they called the act the racial integrity act and then they also had another act sb 281 it was an act that provided for sterilization of inmates state institutions in certain cases so the sterilization act and the racial integrity act of 1924 were two laws that were designed to prevent interracial relationships. And the Racial Integrity Act required that racial description of every person be recorded at birth and divided society into only two classifications, white and colored. Now that meant that everyone was colored, not just African American people, but Native American people as well were considered colored. So it was everyone was colored, not just African American, not just Native Americans, Latin, Latino Americans, Chinese Americans, everybody was considered colored. And Virginia banned, criminalized all marriages between white persons and non-white persons. So they divided people up. Now eventually, that law was overturned in 1967 by the United States Court in its ruling on Loving versus Virginia. And there was a movie out last year as well that discussed that, that movie go out and see that. So, the sterilization act had occurred because of a inmate who had a child with another woman, and they considered him to be feeble-minded. So they passed that law for forced sterilization of inmates under certain conditions to prevent them from getting into an interracial relationship. So they said that those relationships basically only would occur because someone had to be not capable of thinking. And if they did something like that, they would would pollute the population. This was occurring in 1924. But also... 1924 something else was occurring. It was a painter. Her name was Laura Wheeler Waring. And she was born in Hartford, Connecticut in 1887. She was the fourth child of six born to Reverend Robert Foster and Mary Wheeler. And what was interesting and also good is that Mary Wheeler, being African American, being colored at the time by classification, had the advantage of a great education. Her father studied theology at Howard, and he, she, he passed that love of education on to her. And she was able to go on to high school and graduate with honors, and she was able to study for six years at the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. And that was one of the leading arts institutes in the United States. 1914, she received a scholarship to be able to study in Europe for a short period of time. She came back and she became became a teacher. She established art and music programs in schools and she was that for over 30 years. Now that brings us to 1924. She went again back to Europe and she produced some paintings in Europe that would eventually be exhibited in the Paris Art Gallery and one piece is that the houses at Samor she painted in France would receive wide acclaim on both sides of the Atlantic. Now with European recognition as well Waring's work was now in demand in American galleries and those galleries included not just the Corcoran Dalley in in Washington DC but also the Brooklyn Museum and the Philadelphia Museum of Arts. So while they were saying on One hand in the state of Virginia that we shouldn't we should divide people. And that came out of the term eugenics. And eugenics is the science of improving a human population by controlling breeding to increase the occurrence of desirable heritable characteristics. And this was developed largely by Francis Galton, as a method of improving the human race. And this is what the Nazis used to justify their crimes against humanity. This idea that if we separated out the human race, that the best characteristics would move forward in only one part of the population. So there's this this horrid theory, and we see it practiced. But we also see the other story. We saw that while this horrific thing was happening in Virginia, this great thing was happening in the art world. 1924. So what does that mean for us? For us as the leaders, for us in our organizations? Well, you want to think about this term called equanimity. And let me define equanimity for you. Equanimity means the mental or emotional stability or composure, especially under tension, strain, you produce calmness and equilibrium. Or you can have organizational eugenics. And organizational eugenics means this. I think as a leader you allow one type of idea to come to you as a leader and every other idea you get separated and and you don't allow it to to move forward and you look at one idea and you look at one path and you look at one plan and the people who present a counter plan a counter idea you let those ideas go away that's organizational eugenics. One way. This is the one way. This is the way it has to be. We can't change it. And you hear those terms all the time. You can insert the buzzwords that you hear. We have to be firm. We can't change. That's organizational eugenics. Top down, chain of command. It's organizational eugenics. There's one way or the highway. I have the final say. organizational eugenics it is basically saying that there is one way and we'll put your ideas over in this container but equanimity when you when you get calm and you get emotionally stable and you get your composure together you begin to say to yourself wow these ideas have value these ideas have value, and they're not my own ideas, but somebody else's ideas have an extreme amount of value, and just because those ideas didn't come to me through my process that I preferred, it doesn't take away the value of the idea. I mean, think about it. It's the difference. It's like when the song was number one on the R&B charts, it was number 11 on the pop charts, but it was the same song. The song has value. Don't play that song for me because it, bring it brings back memories. The days that I once knew, the days I spent with you. So there are some songs that we just need to say, don't play those anymore. Don't play those songs for me. And then where does that happen? Well, that happens in our minds. You see, there's stories that we tell us every day. There might be new stories that you may need to tell in your leadership journey. There may be situations where, you know, you may have an idea that was passed on. You, you may have been passed by. You may have been simply misplaced in an organization. But guess what? It Doesn't diminish your value. When when it comes down to it, you know, people can take positions, they can take assignments, but they can't take your joy. They can't take your talent, they can't take your ability. They can't take away who you are because that exists outside of an organization. And what you have exists inside of you and it is powerful. When you think about it, it is powerful. Eckhart Tolle talks about this concept. And he said, if only people knew that the greatest power in the universe existed inside of them, they would not run around to seek approval from other people. And I think that is what we need to do. We can contribute in shared humanity by walking side by side with each other, exchanging ideas, exchanging concepts. But we don't need to get everybody's validation. We don't need to enter into relationships to establish our worth. That's already there. That's already been given. That's there. Look inside and get your worth. Then give from your worth. Give what you have. That's valuable. So tell yourself new stories and know that the people around you want to succeed don't practice organizational eugenics allow the ideas to breed allow the ideas to grow and produce something wonderful That's what you're supposed to do in your organization, produce something wonderful to put out into the world to do good and know that anybody who is in front of you, who agrees to work with you, who is there for you, wants to succeed and they have value and they're bringing value. And at the end of the day, when you weigh the data together, the ideas that they take away, how much are they going to be worth on the open market? You know, sometimes we've got to go back. We've got to rewind and we've got to think and be rational. Make the rational data-driven decision. I never say to make an impulsive emotional decision, but what is the data-driven decision? Times are hard. You have to go. Saves the bottom line. Okay, what's the bottom line? Let's say the bottom line is, I'll throw out a number out there. You need to save $30,000 and you find a way to save thirty thousand dollars is to let this person go away. Now this person has ideas, talents, and abilities. They go away and their talents, their abilities, their ideas make another organization a hundred thousand dollars. And then that person is paid by that organization maybe eighty thousand dollars for generating $100,000 in revenue. So you as an organization saved $30,000, but you lost $70,000. Now, which one is the rational decision? Which one is the data-driven decision? Is 70 less than 30? Well, I don't think so. There's not a math class that I know of that would allow you to say 30 is greater than 70. So, data-driven decision making, not emotional decision making. Sunday, October 29th. Chicago Cubs were down. They lost game 5 of the World Series to the Cleveland Indians 7 to 2. They went down 3 games to 1. Normally, teams don't come back from a 3 to 1 deficit. Especially a 3 to 1 deficit having to go play games five six and seven on the road but the Cubs went into progressive field in Cleveland Ohio they won game five they won game six they won game seven then on Wednesday November 2nd they won the game eight to seven the White Sox fans now many years later were on Facebook this time and instead of making fun of me they congratulated me And they thanked me, and they remembered how happy I was to see the Cubs win. Don't play that song for me. This is Stephen Thompson, and this is the Stephen Thompson Experience. Have a great one.